Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Drell Mason. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a man. If you remember back in the early 90s when Michael Bivens had Bid 10 and the East Coast Family and the Posse Cut, One for All, All for One, this man was singing smooth vocals, telling you what the B.I.B. crew can do. Got a sound that surfed for miles, showing proven different styles. Yes, I know the words. Don't at me, at your mama. Hailing from the rubble capital of the world, Akron, Ohio, home of the late James Ingram and his brother Philip from Switch, Howard Hewitt. We're going to go on and on of all the greats that came from Akron, LeBron. And we're going to go into his music career and then some with the one and only Mr. Hayden. Hi, do Welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Thanks, Drew. That was a great intro, man. You got you got a lot of our famous people in there, so. Yes, sir. I, I, I got to do my research. I know that Akron is known more than just Firestone and LeBron, and also the birthplaces. Yeah, that's Earth. right. Yeah. All right, so let's go Absolutely. ahead and just, yes, sir. So let's just go ahead and jump right on in. So Akron, Ohio, how did you fall in love in music? And did you have any other passions besides music? Sure. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I grew up in a family that just sang. So I, I'm actually originally from Austin, Texas. So I grew up in a, a Southern Gospel Pentecostal church. Um, my dad was an associate pastor back in the day, and uh, we went to a, a place called the, the World of Pentecost in Austin, Texas. Um, my uncle and my cousins are all, um, my one cousin's now a pastor of a church in Lubbock. So music and singing was just something that, that we just did. So um, I just grew up singing. Uh, I think I first time I sang in church, I was three. Um, so I just started singing in church and um, just loved music. And um, just fell in love with that. And that was something I, I'd say, I, I don't know if I was totally passionate about it at the beginning. It's just, you know, like when it's something that you just do when you're born, it's something that you just kind of do. Um, but as I got older and into more of my formative years, I really started to, to fall in love with music. And then, you know, I was also uh, really into sports. So those were kind of the two things that really consumed me um, even to this day, I think those are two things that I'm I'm really into. So if I'm not watching um, the Ohio State Buckeyes or the Cleveland Browns, I'm probably on YouTube looking at some new artists or, you know, finding somebody who I, I really enjoy vocally and kind of following them and listening to music that they do. Right. And you already answered one of my questions. You are a Buckeye, O-H-I-O. If you are from the Midwest, That's Big Ten country, you know what it yep. is. Yep, I'm a Buckeye through and through. Yep, if you wear, if you have yellow and blue on, you're not coming into my house. So, we we don't we don't socialize with Michigan fans. So, yeah, I'm a Buckeye through and through. Yeah, I I feel the same way about Duke fans. I'm a Tar Heel fan, so yeah. it's like that with Duke. Although Coach K is retiring at the end of the season, hopefully uh, Duke can have a downer, and hopefully Hubert Davis can have a great first year at Carolina. So I. We- I I love that hire. I think Hubert Davis is a great hire. He's going to, I think, I think North Carolina is going to do really well. I think he's, he's an awesome hire for, for North Carolina. That was a great move. 
definitely for sure keeping it in the Carolina family. Uh, Hubert paid his dues on Coach Roy Williams' staff, and when Roy stepped right. down, Hubert was able to come right on in. Because I felt that was the only way that you would leave a cushy job at ESPN, yep. that Roy probably told you, hey, come on my staff, sit for a minute, be in charge of recruiting. By the time I leave, you just slide right on in. Yep, yep. You got a guy who was at Duke who's taking over, and you got Hubert Davis, so I think they'll keep that rivalry going, so – Definitely for sure. Now, I mentioned some of the musical acts that came out of Akron. Also, uh, Chrissy Hyde from The Pretenders, the Mother Ball Brothers from uh, Devo. Because when we think of music from Ohio, we tend to think of the hotbeds of Cleveland, Cincinnati, yep. and Dayton, everything funky that were coming out of those three sectors. Mm -hmm. So, what is it? Yeah, the Ohio you? players. And, for yep. sure. Yeah, Ohio players, Slop, Slave, uh, Zap, Robert. Lavert out of Cleveland and then Bootsy, yep. rest of those guys from Cincinnati, everything that was yep. coming out of King and T-Neck with the Osley brothers. So was mm -hmm. it that you think with Dayton, Cleveland, and Cincinnati that inspired Akron to say, hey, we got some heavy hitters too in the music industry? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I mean, I look, there's a lot of um there's a lot of talent in Akron and, and, and really Akron is only, you know, we're 30 miles from Cleveland. So, you know, Dayton is kind of on an Island by itself and Youngstown is kind of on an Island by itself. Cincinnati is a big city. So I think there's a, there's a lot of collaboration with Akron and Cleveland artists. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, there's just a lot of good local talent in Akron, but really nowadays, you know, you see this on TikTok and YouTube, there's just a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot more ways to get out um, into the public eye because there's, you know, there's just greater technology. There's, there's more ways to be seen. So what I've seen is just, I'm amazed that, you know, how many, how many talented people there are just in general that don't have record deals or are going a different route. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I think, yeah, Akron has always been kind of a hotbed, you know, at least for me, for, you know, they have a great gospel scene. Uh, they have a pretty good blues scene. Um, they've got a good rock scene, like you said, with Devo and Chrissy Hines. And um, so, yeah, it's just, it's always been a, it's always been a good place for music. So it's hard to, it's hard to capitalize, but it's a good place to start, right? You eventually have to go to an LA or a New York or Atlanta um, or Austin, Texas or somewhere like that. But it's, it's a great place to get your career started. Mm -hmm. Now, being so close to Cleveland, did you ever grow up listening to uh, WZAK and For Lovers Only? 93.1, absolutely. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, Kim Sellers was on there for a long time. Um, yeah, I, I, still, I still listen to WZAK. So, mm. yeah, I'm about, my playlist is usually um, either gospel or R&B. Um, I'm more of an old school R&B, which now you know, say in 90s and 2000, um, you know, but I'm more kind of that genre. Um, and then I'll, I'll dabble in some country if, you know, I like really soulful singers. So, I, you know, but nowadays the barriers are a lot more crossed. So, you know, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I grew up on WZAK for sure. And, and then, you know, we had a, we had a local station, the University of Akron, WZIP 88.1, which was an urban station. And back in the day, they played some really good music too. So, you know, but yeah, 93.1 was like number one on my dial for sure. Mm -hmm. For Lovers Only was definitely yep. recording appointment. Oh, yeah. Try to get that long distance dedication and hopefully Jeffrey Charles yeah. will say, this goes to so-and-so from so-and-so. Yeah. Can't wait to see you at <laughs> yeah, period tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. 
And correct me on this if I'm wrong. I believe Sherry Carter, before she went to BET, got her start in Cleveland on a yeah, local show called Soul Tracks before video LP. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I know myself. So, football. Did you end up playing in high yep. school? And how did you end up coming across Mr. Michael Bivens? Yeah, so uh, I grew up playing football. Um, was a high school player, played, you know, was pretty successful, and then was looking to go play in college um, at a like Division three. Um, had some offers to go to some Division three schools, and then a couple of Division two, um, really what you would say NAIA schools. Um, and last minute decided I was just going to go to university. Um, I think, you know. I probably one of the bigger decisions I regret. I wish I would have probably capitalized on that. Um, but I ended up my senior year, um, I was at home and um, this was when Bell Biv DeVoe was, it was the, I think it was like the BBD, it was like the Budweiser Fest, BBD, MC Hammer. Um, trying to think who else, maybe Keith Sweat was on that tour. I can't remember, but um it was right around the time that Michael Bivens had discovered Boys to Men. So Motown Philly was blowing up. That first album was starting to blow up. And, you know, Mike was kind of promoting that he was looking for artists and to meet them after the show. And so I had a buddy, um, Keith Weaver, who's still one of my closest friends. He's actually, he owns a, uh, a really cool cigar spot in Atlanta called the Patio Social Club. So shout out to Keith. Um, and he he went to this hotel and he called me and he said, hey, you got to get down here and sing for Michael Bivens. So I left at like 1.30 in the morning and drove down to this little hotel in uh, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, which is a suburb of Akron. And there were a bunch of people that were singing for him. And there was, you know, probably 300 people listening. And when he was done, he was walking into his room and my buddy Keith said, hey, Mike, we got one more for you. Um, and he looked at me and he's like, this guy? And I was like, yeah. And so I sang for him and I don't think he was expecting kind of how I sound vocally. And so I sang for him and uh, he kind of chuckled and then he said, sing something else. And then the people that were there started to get involved and kind of liked it. So, um, you know, he wrote my number down on a piece of paper and was like, I'll call you. And I was like, whatever. And he called me like two weeks later. And uh, he said, hey, this is Mike. And, you know, I want to offer you a record deal. And I was like, whatever, you know, like you heard me sing for two seconds. And he said, you know, do me a favor, write a song um, and I'm going to call you back. And so I just I'd never really written a song, but I, you know, I was good enough to come up with some melodies and things in my head. So I just started dabbling around with some melodies and then I created a song and uh, he called me back at like two in the morning, about three weeks later. And. I got on the phone and he asked me to sing for him. So I snuck down in the basement. My parents were sleeping. My sister was sleeping. I sang a song for him and he loved it. And he was like, that's awesome. And, um, you know, little after that, we had, he had sent me papers to sign a record deal with Biff 10 Records. And I had kind of inked that deal before I left for Ohio University. I decided to go to Ohio University my freshman year. So um, I'd signed a record deal and then went off to Ohio University and um, didn't open up a book very much. So. That was kind of my that was kind of my intro into the music industry. And actually, the, the day that I uh, sang, there was a girl, Yvette Brown, who's on the community now, a pretty famous actress who's done a lot of great stuff. She sang for him right before I did. And so Yvette and I were both in the East Coast family and worked together. And uh, we actually were in this. He put us in a group called Different. 
um, with me, Yvette, this guy, Kali Brock and Big Ant. And we were, we were good, man. We are, we, we had some great harmonies and we were really good, but it didn't work. And then uh, at that point, I think he decided that I was better off kind of doing my solo thing. So that, that went on for, you know, a year or two with Mike. I think he was just trying to figure out where to put me. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think he knew what to do with me because at the time, and, and Jarrell, I don't know how old you are, but um, you didn't cross boundaries a lot in music back in the day, you know? So um, me being a white kid um, singing soulful, I think there was just a direction of how do we do this? Uh, I don't think, you know, um, I'm a suburban kid. So I think he wanted me to be authentic to who I was. And I think it was just trying to figure out what to do with me. So when we kind of came up with probably what the right image was for me and what was kind of truest to who I am with, you know, really soulful music, I think that it, the things kind of took off and, and we, we made the album. Yeah. Cause I can remember, you know, being five, six years old, 1991, remember on BT that it was a rarity to see a Caucasian artist on no. BT, but the yeah. rare exception being new kids on the block, but they were yep. targeted to the R&B crowd first, did a version yep. of Please Don't Go Girl that only got played on BET, but once right. Pop got a hold, MTV, Nickelodeon, Top 40 started coming in, and then they were featured for an hour on one episode of uh, Video LP hosted by Sherry Carter, like you stated. Yeah. It wasn't really a lot of crossing back and forth between Pop and R&B, unless you were Whitney, Michael, Prince, George Michael. Yeah, like Tina Marie did it back in the day, right? She was really good. Um, you know, there were a few artists. There was a guy named Sam Harris who was on Star Search who did a, a Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and he was pretty soulful. Um, you know, I think even, um, you know, like Michael Bolton, when he first started, um, until he became like a top 40 guy, was a rock and roll guy. But there was no one at the time um, you know, that was doing what I was doing. Now, when I was in LA and I was working on the album, you know, I knew of these two other white guys who were sort of similar to me, John B and Robin Thicke. And we kind of knew of each other. We didn't hang in the same circles, but we knew who each other was. And I had heard of John B and, you know, people would, I would be in the studio and they'd be like, Hey, have you heard this guy, John B singer, Robin Thicke? And then, um, so, but no, there was, there was nothing out there like what I was trying to do. And I think Mike was really trying to push me into that pop, top 40 but he 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 wanted me to keep that you know um you know it's just the way that I sing right so he wanted me to just I think be true to myself but you know I think he was trying to walk a, a fine line um and he did a really good job of it but yeah you, you just didn't cross a lot of boundaries which in today's world it doesn't matter music is just kind of music Mm, it's a lot I, different. I agree. You know, everything is pretty much labelless, labelless now. And uh, you mentioned um, getting a call from your buddy, like, "Hey, Mike is down at the hotel room, blah blah blah, at blah 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 hotel." And it's kind of a fine line when you know this is my one shot to impress, and then they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I heard so and so before, millions like you." So, what is it that you think it was about? you besides the voice that stood out and said, hey, I'm going to take a chance on you. You know, I think, so I, I just, I think, first of all, I went in with like no expectations, you know, like I grew up in a family where everybody sings. So, you know, I mean, I have cousins, my mom could sing, my sister can sing, um, my grandmother and grandfather can sing, you know, if, if there's a, you know, if we're having a Thanksgiving dinner and my whole family's in town, we can just 
you pick any song and we're going to pick the harmonies and, and just sing. So, um, you know, I think I was pretty innocent in the fact that, that I knew that I had talent, but I really had no expectation because I was just, you know, I was going to go to OU and just be a college kid. So, you know, I didn't show up and like dress to impress, right. I was in shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. So I think the, I think the fact that I was really unassuming and didn't care, I think maybe that caught his eye. Like everybody else was kind of, you know, they were there to perform for him and they were in their outfits. And I just came in like, okay, I'll sing for you. And, you know, I think he was almost like, who is this kid? You know, like he, it's almost like I didn't, I didn't really care if he liked me, he liked me. If he didn't, he didn't. I had no expectations. And I think that helped me, you know, because I was like, if he, you know, I mean, I knew who Michael Bivens was because I was, um, you know, sorry about that because I was a, um, you know, I was, I was into music and I like music, but I think that probably caught his eye a lot more. And I, I think he, I was just your typical, you know, Midwestern kid. Uh, so I think that was, you know, I think, I think that's something that, really caught his eye because he you know Mike always liked to find the artist that had something a little different he was very creative in that way um he always wanted you know he did not like to follow trends which is what he did with boys to men you know the Alex Vanderpool with Nate and how he made that group and um you know he always liked to find some you know he did not like to just follow the norm and I think for me it was not the norm right and you mentioned you know, playing football in high school and you singing, was it, was it kind of like for you where you had to kind of sort of like, shh, don't tell anybody I sing? Or you were open, mm. like, hey, I can sing because, you know, back in the day, yeah, our yeah. folks stayed on their side and the jocks stayed on their side and it wasn't really a lot right. of mixing and mingling. Yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, it's weird. I didn't really think about that stuff. I mean, because, you know, I was pretty secure in who I was, but, but, and I had friends in a lot of different arenas. Um, so no, I mean, you know, when I, you know, I did a, you know, I mean, there were other jocks that, you know, there were other football players that sang chorus, took chorus because it was an A, right. It was a full credit. And, um, and then, you know, when I was asked to be the lead in a play my senior year, I, you know, I dragged a couple of my other football guys with me who kind of did it and wanted to have fun. Um, and then all my buddies came out and just supported it because, you know, they all knew, I mean, you know, if I'd be riding in the car and I'd sing something, I mean, everybody knew that I could sing. So if we had a pep rally, they'd ask me to sing, you know, things like that. I would, you know, they'd be like, can you please do a national anthem at a basketball game? So it wasn't like um, my singing was, you know, was on the down low. So that, you know, I, I don't think I was, I don't, that wasn't really the issue, but what you didn't do was like, you know, you didn't, like I wasn't going to go to school and study drama probably. Right. Because I just, there, you didn't have a lot of, you know, there, the drama kids were kind of the drama kids and the athletes were the athletes and they, it was a little more divided. Um, and, and nowadays it's totally different. You know, it's just a whole different world. Um, so no, I mean, I didn't get any pushback. I got, you know, guys, you know, I mean, I went to a really awesome school that was supportive, but, uh, but yeah, it was, def I mean, you know, when I was in the, when I was doing the play, it wasn't, you know, I was hanging out with people that I normally didn't hang out with. Right. Um, so yeah, that part was different, but I didn't have to like, keep it quiet. It, 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 and I was in a small school of like 800 and 900 kids. So, you know, it, once it was out, it was out. So um, I, there, there was no pressure to like, 
kind of be ashamed of it, but it was just something that just wasn't done very much. You know, I was, you know, I was one of the, you know, I, I, I was offered a um, vocal scholarship at Ohio University and the people, I, I ended up not going that route, but those people that would, I would have taken class with were extremely different than I was, right? I'm not a super artsy person. Um, I just love to sing. So I think that's kind of where I felt a little different, but not different in a bad way, just different. And, you know, um, I'm just, you know, in, in, a, in a, just in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes totally perfect sense. And uh, one last football question, then we're going to really dive into the music. I was curious, did your high school end up playing, I believe it's a town called Maslin, Ohio, um, home of the yeah, no, Tigers? So no, so we didn't play Maslin, but my senior year, we went to the uh, state championship game. We lost in the state championship game, and our state championship game was at Maslin High School. So um, in Ohio, they the state championship games are played at Maslin or um, the Hall of Fame, Canton. Those two schools are like – and Canton, McKinley, and Maslin is like one of the largest rivalries in America for high school football. So those stadiums are about 25 – minutes apart and Maslin holds, I think it's like 30,000. So I did play at Maslin, but I didn't play Maslin. No, but if we would have played Maslin my senior year, we would have whipped their ass because they were just okay. And we were really good. But um, no, if, if you know about high school football in Ohio, you know about Maslin. It's, it's the real deal. It's a small town and they live and breathe football. Yep. Just like, it's like what you get. It's like what you get in Texas. Yep, those Friday night lights, Texas, Florida, yep. Cali. So now you get signed to Biv 10. So what was the process like going out and just waiting for your time to record and then all for one, one for all? And whose idea was it to have it be a showcase for all of the artists on the Biv 10 roster? So it was Mike's idea. I think he had met enough people around the country um, that he... Um, that he wanted to do this video and he wanted to showcase his talent. And so we flew out to Maryland um, and we cut a video and that's kind of when we all met each other. Um, and, you know, we all, we got in a, um, I remember this, we, we, we got in a, um, a studio um, and I can't remember the guy's name who produced the song, but if you Google it, uh, he did a lot of songs for Boys to Men back in the day, but um, he had written the track and then they wanted all of us to kind of write our own lyrics. And we started writing them and they were like really bad. So Mike kicked us out of the studio. He's like, you know, what is this? This is crap. And Boys to Men actually wrote the song. Um, they wrote everybody's part and kind of, you know, it, it just was real. We were doing some really corny, just corny stuff. Um, and then we got back in the studio and everybody did their part. And then, um, you know, then we went out to, um, you know, we went out to Maryland to shoot the video and, and we all came back together. So we were kind of a family, but we were, you know, like we exchanged numbers and we would call each other. But um, I think that was Mike kind of showing his roster off of who he had uh, coming out. So, you know, he had a bunch of different artists that he had met, I guess, along the way or in the, you know, throughout the country. I think some of them, you know, he some other artists that he was working with in LA and, you know, he met MC brains who was in Cleveland. Uh, I remember, you know, MC brains was at the time he had had his album out. So he was on there and the boys to men and ABC. And, um, 
so yeah, that was kind of the process. And then we just went and shot the video and it was like a two day shoot. And we all stayed in a hotel and we did our part and, um, you know, shot the video and then it was out, it was released. And then we were supposed to do a show on MTV and, um, Brooke Payne was kind of our choreograph choreographer and was showing us some moves and Mike came in and he hated it and he just canceled the show and sent us home. So we never performed on MTV. So, um, that was kind of, that was really kind of the, honestly, that was kind of the end of like the Biv 10 thing. And then he started working with artists, but, you know, I think I was the only, you know, besides MC brains and boys to men and then 702, um, they jumped off. And then I think I was the only other artist that even made an album. The rest of them, I think just kind of faded off into the sunset. Right. And you mentioned uh, Mr. Brooke Payne, who I have the pleasure of interviewing. And as we all know from the If It Is In Love video, the new yep. edition story where he was portrayed greatly by Wood Harris. He is a task master. You better oh, know yeah, your stuff. For sure. So how was that yep. like for yeah. you getting to work under Brooke Payne? It was great. I mean, he was, you know, he's the real deal. He's, uh, you know, he's old school. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he is, uh, you know, every move is precise. Everything looks clean. Um, do it over and over and over again. He doesn't take any bullshit. He's, he's the real deal. It was, it was, it was, you know, I thought it was great. Um, you know, so he, he is how they portrayed him in that movie is really how he was, you know? Um, so he's, he's the real deal. He's, he, uh, he, he is definitely someone who will bring talent out and he wants to make sure that you're always, um, you know, you're always precise in everything you do. So he's all about the show, right? When you put on a show, you're, you know, you, you look clean, everybody looks even. So yeah, he, it was, it was, it was really cool to work with him and, and see, get to be a part of that. Mm, Cause how you look in rehearsal is how you come across on stage. You're That's feeling right. like yeah. no addition, sweat. And if it isn't love. Yeah. No, they, they were, yeah. My, I mean, they were workers. They, 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 you know, new addition outworked everybody. They outworked everybody. It was nonstop. They, you know, they were, they, they were clean and they, you know, they, they did it over and over and over and over and over again. So yeah, it, it was pretty awesome experience. Yeah. That professionalism. So when every time they touch a stage or somebody's going on before them or after them, they're like Larry Bird in the three point contest with the warm up on, which one of y'all going to come yep. in second? That's right. Yep. You're exactly right. No, they were really like a throwback to, you know, the temptations and, um, you know, I still think the OJs are some of the greatest performing, one of the greatest performing groups ever, but just more kind of vocally and how they bring the crowd in, but they were, you know, they really were like precise. Um, you know, I think, um, like new kids on the block, I think kind of grew up in that same genre. They had a Marie star who was kind of a big part of them. And I think they grew up on that kind of East coast mentality, but, you know, even NSYNC and um, Backstreet Boys, like, I think, you know, I'll probably get hammered for this. I think vocally NSYNC is probably more talented than New Edition. Um, between you and I, I think just pound for pound. Um, but I think overall performing, um, I think, you know, if you're just talking about harmonies, right, like New Edition wasn't known for all their harmonies, you know, they could all sing, but really it was, you know, Ralph, Bobby, and, and then Ricky, and then, well, when they got Johnny Gill, I guess they were, I shouldn't say that because Johnny Gill was like the man, but when it came to performing, they were, nobody's better than them. There's nobody. 
no, I I agree I agree wholeheartedly. And then to think how, you know, even though prior to New Edition you had the Jackson Five and the Osmonds, but yep. New Edition really started the trend of the modern day boy group. You know, New Kids when the Marie Star connection between the two, then yep. Backstreet Boys, In Sync, yes, yes, all of them. Oh, everything to New Edition for what absolutely they, what they yeah. started. Look, Usher owes everything to Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown was Usher before Usher. You agreed. Know, I mean, agreed. I, yeah. I have no you know, arguments they, they, there. Yep. They are, they are, they they set the trend for, you know, they are the, you know, they are, they are the, you know, they invented the wheel when it comes to boy bands. Right. And girls sure. as well, because if you go back Absolutely. and look at who on the TLC tip, the cover and TLC's image and aesthetic, BBD. Absolutely. I've said that all. They are the female version of BBD. They were exactly, I've said that. It's funny you say that. I say that all the time. They were just the female version of BBD, without a doubt. I so, agree. yep, they, uh, yep, yep, they, they set the trend for sure. For sure. And um, with you recording, what was it like that process of recording the album and just trying to figure out, like, hey, when is it going to come out? When is it going to come out? And, you know, the whole politics of the industry and how you know when higher-ups get involved things are totally out of the artist's control you know with the with the biff 10 side of it um i mean i was living in la i was on hollywood and fuller um you know they hooked me up with a road manager a guy that i'm still friends with today his name is titus carson him and i were real tight um todd Rusaw uh was a and r for my project. So Todd and I were real tight. So we just, you know, we, it was real collaboration of, you know, Mike had some vision and what he wanted and we went out and found songs and, you know, we worked with different producers and, and, um, you know, we were just, it was, you know, we were in the studio either working or we were, you know, working out or just living in LA and, and, you know, um, we would, we would cut a song and then Mike would have final say, right? I like it or change something. Um, but that process was actually pretty quick and pretty clean. Um, the album really came together um, really nicely. And I think, you know, we had a, you know, we redid a um, Steely Dan song, Peg. Uh, Mike wanted me to redo Love Me Tender by Elvis. I think his, I think Mike's vision of me was like the modern day Elvis kind of. Um, you know, and then the first single was this song called Funhouse, which was just a very different, like, kind of almost a George Michael-ish type up-tempo song that was really cool. Um, and then we had a lot of really killer ballads. Um, I worked with Dave Thomas and a guy, Les Pierce, on about five songs. So Dave Thomas was in a, is still in the group Take Six. So we worked together. We had some killer harmonies. It was just a very clean, I would say it was a pop R&B um, really clean album that flowed really nicely. And, um, you know, Mike, I'll say this, Mike had a vision and, um, you know, we sort of stuck to that and we did some songs that were not good and we just scrapped them. And then, you know, but it was, you know, we weren't spending like, you know, we were working with local producers and, and it was just pretty clean and really on the, on the, you know, you didn't deal with a lot of politics because I was signed to Viv 10. So Mike dealt with a lot of that. And, you know, I was just, he just kind of allowed me to be an artist. And then, you know, once, you know, once you get the album done and then you're shooting a video, you're, you're pretty sure that you're, you know, they've spent money, your album's going to come out. So that was like, 
you know, once we had completed the album and the video, we were ready to go, you know, so the next step was just like, you know, what are we going to do to promote, you know, we had taken, you know, we had album cover, cover photos, I mean, we were ready to move, we were done, um, you know, so it was a, Mike was really good about handling the business and kind of keeping me out of it, and even though Mike was the president of the label, he was also co-manager, I mean, we put my dad down as a manager, but my dad really didn't, you know what I mean? Like he was just there to, you know, kind of be there. Like it was cool for him to, you know, but he wasn't there on, you know, for much of the process. Mike really, Mike was kind of everything for that label. So, um, and even my A&R, Todd Russo and my road manager, they were really looked out for me. You know what I mean? Like we were, we were, it was really like a family, you know, like they were, you know, Todd wasn't your typical A&R. He, he, him and I were really tight and he, he was kind of part of the management team. And so it was, it was, it was just a small group and it was, they, they, they just allowed me to be an artist. So it was, it was pretty cool. Which is great for an artist to not have label interference because for no. those that don't know, labels are sticklers for making sure you turn in the album at the deadline was like, Hey, want to try to push your album out by fourth quarter? Yeah. We need a rough cut. Whereas some labels are more artist friendly, whereas like, hey, go record, bring it when it's done. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they had deadlines and Mike was, you know, Mike was pretty stubborn about no, it's not ready. So um, you know, but once we kind of got the vision down, and I think once we realized what we wanted to do and things started to come together, I think, you know, I think they gave us a deadline and we hit it, but um, they were, you know, Mike was really good about protecting me from kind of all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So why was the album shelved? So, you know, Gerald Busby was the CEO at the time and he resigned and it was like two weeks before my album was going to be released. And, you know, with his resignation, Motown just kind of shut down for a minute. So, you know, I think, I think Mike had a relationship with Gerald you know, they eventually brought in a new CEO. I don't think Mike had the same relationship with him. Um, so I think Mike was looking to take his Biv 10 label somewhere else. And, you know, uh, somebody else doesn't have the same vision and relationship that Gerald probably had with Mike. So, you know, he's trying to create a new subsidiary label and he's trying to have me be an artist. And, you know, I think at the time he's, he's dealing with, you know, boys to men who, you know, at this point had released into the road. So they're like blowing up. Right. So, you know, how is he going to manage? Cause you know, he was, you know, basically co-managing boys to men. Um, you know, ABC was kind of, you know, they weren't who they thought, you know, another bad creation was cool, but they had become teenagers. Right. So their, you know, their um, stickiness was kind of not there. I think he was juggling a lot of things and it just, I just kind of was in the middle of, of that storm. So it just, you know, it was a year and a half or so that I was at home getting a per diem, monthly per diem, um, you know, and just kind of sitting by and just kind of waiting, you know, getting impatient, but I was getting enough money that, you know, I could, you know, go play golf. I think they're paying me like, you know, 2,500 bucks a month, which is nice when you're, you know, 22 years old, and you're not doing anything. Um, but I, at that point, I'd kind of gotten the bug and I really wanted to sing. And I wanted to get a deal. You know, I mean, I wanted to get another deal and get it out there. But, um, you know, I, they might have owned the rights to the album. I, I didn't get there was just not a lot of communication at that point. You know, like I said, Mike, Mike ran his own show. So, you know, he was he was in charge of everything. So, 
Um, and I really, you know, if I had to do over again, I probably should have gone out and pursued real management who would have my back a little more. Um, but that's, and that's not to protect me from Mike, but just so I could have been more involved in the loop. But I was a kid from Akron, Ohio, who got a record deal in a hotel staying for three minutes. So I really didn't know, you know, I didn't know, you know, what to do. You know what I mean? Like I was, you know, I, so I was, I was just, um, you know, I was a fresh, you know, I was just really wet behind the ears when it came to that stuff. So I really just trusted Mike with everything. And I think he was doing the best he could, um, but he had a lot of things that he had to do too, you know, and then you have BBD and then new additions coming out with the reunion and tour. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things going on where, um, you know, i just kind of keep getting dropped lower on the priority list. Cause you know, he's got an album, right. He's got the deadline that you talked about. Boys to men has an album, you know, 702 has a single that's blown up. So I think as much as he wanted to, you know, kind of find a home for me, I think he had a lot of other priorities that just, he had to do. It wasn't that I wasn't important. He just had other obligations because he had signed on the dotted line and had obligations that he had to fulfill. Right. Because I was curious, like in that type of scenario, if, you know, could have been negotiated on the front end, like, hey, in the event that your album gets shelved, you have an opt out clause where you can opt out your contract and be free to go to any label to record because I know it had to be hard just sitting and waiting and then the album not come out and then you're still kind of locked into that ironclad contract. Well, yeah. And the problem was I, I probably could have, I probably had an out, but like my CEO of my label was also my manager. You know what I mean? So like, where was I going to go? I didn't know anybody, you know, like everybody I knew was in that big 10 circle. So, you know, I mean, I would, you know, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't go out and try to find, you know, like I didn't go talk to them, you know, if I would have had some different representation, it would have been different. They would have said, Hey, we can do this somewhere else. Let's go. But I just didn't know, you know, I didn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I was just, you know, I was all in with Mike. And so that's just kind of where it was. So, um, you know, it ended up being a much longer wait than what I had anticipated. And I was starting to grow, I think angrily, um, you know, or not angrily, but I was, I was starting to get really impatient because, you know, I wanted to release something and, and, you know, not, there was never a lot of tension, but, you know, I wanted some answers at that point, you know, but at the same time I had to be aware, you know, I hadn't, it wasn't like I was out grinding for five years and, you know, singing in open mics and things like that. So it was just, it was just a very different experience for me. You know, I was, I was, Mike was kind of doing everything for me and I was in a situation where I just didn't know, you know, I wasn't aware of like all my options. Right. You know, I wasn't out. Of, I wasn't looking, you know, when I wasn't singing, we were, I was going bowling or hanging out with my road manager. We were having fun. You know, it was like, I never, I never dreamed that you don't think your album's going to get shelved. Right. So you're just out soaking it all in. Mm, so the transition leaving Biv 10 and then hooking up with Mr. Matthew knows, how did that come about? Well, so there was a group, uh, three guys from um, New Jersey, um, Dominic Scaglione, Pat Scaglione, and Paul Lombardo, and they were a group called Protege. They were like a three-man group, and they had run into Michael Bivens, and they sang for him. And so Mike called me, and he said, hey, I met these three dudes. They look really good. They got a nice voice. They're, they, you know, these Italian kids from Jersey. Would you be open to 
you know, listening to him and seeing if you want to be a part of the group. And I'm like, yeah. So we talked on the phone. I think Mike was like, listen, you guys need to hook up with Hayden. If you do, I probably, you know, I can probably hook you guys up. So they drove down to Akron and, you know, we, uh, they stayed with me for a couple of days and we sang and we hung out and, you know, they were all guys that played sports. So we got along in that aspect and we went out and, you know, we kicked it, we had fun. And at that point I was like, yeah, let's, let's make this move. And then, um, you know, we went in and we created a demo for Mike and he kind of liked it, but it was just kind of the same. Like I didn't feel a sense of urgency. And so at that point we had, we had an attorney that those guys knew who was a real entertainment attorney who had our back. And he was like, listen, you know, you guys are good. Like you have to, you know, he's basically like, Hey, you can't just sit around and wait for Mike. You have to pursue some other things. And so we, uh, we eventually ended up getting a deal with Columbia. We, we sang for Donnie Einer, who was the CEO and president of Columbia. We sang for him in his office. Um, he offered us a record deal. And then we had, um, you know, the next step was to find management and we met Matthew Knowles for dinner and he was really impressive and he was cool and he had a vision for us and it was kind of laid out. And so we decided to have him manage us. And then um, we created an album on, um, we finished an album on Columbia records. You can still, you can go to iTunes and get the signature album. I mean, it's on there, you know, but uh, he wanted to move us to his label and he was kind of doing the same thing Mike was doing. And it was just, a, um, you know, I mean, we did a song on the best man soundtrack called wherever you go. Um, I wrote that song. Um, it's me singing lead. Uh, we were on the bring it on soundtrack. I mean, that, that signature album is really good. Like it's a legit, it's a really good album. Worked with Robin Thicke on a few songs. Um, you know, it was a really good album, but at the end of the day, he was, you know, then we started, you know, we didn't have our album release, but we were doing an opening, uh, we were an opening act for um, the Christina Aguilera tour. And then we were doing this side tour, team people tour with, um, uh, with, um, what's wrong with me? With uh, Beyonce and- Destiny's um, Child. With Destiny's Child, yeah. Man, how do you forget that? With Destiny's Child, you know, we were there when they had four girls. And then the two girls got let go, right? And they brought in two girls and then that didn't work. And then Michelle Williams came into the group and then that worked. And then, you know, we were on tour when Survivor came out and like they were blowing up. And, um, you know, Matt, and we were an R&B, we were an R&B group. We were a soulful R&B group. We were more on the genre of a Jodeci or a voice to men, um, you know, and he went, Destiny's Child was on tour with Backstreet Boys and he saw kind of the, publicity that Backstreet Boys had and he wanted to turn us into like a, another Backstreet Boys and that really wasn't what we did well you know we wanted to get in your face and sing right we weren't trying to like wow you with a bunch of dance moves we wanted to you know turn the lights down and get you in face and sing for you right and um and then there were just some other things that happened and and it just it ended up we finished that album and it it, it ended up never being released as well um I mean it got released on iTunes and somebody's getting paid for some of it, but I'm not, you know, none of the guys in signature are getting paid. So, um, and I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's a lot of downloads right now, but um, you know, I mean, it was, it, it could have been, it could have been a very successful album. It's, you know, I mean, I know it's, I'm 25% of that album, but it's a, it's a really good album. I would suggest anyone who listens to go uh, listen to it. Cause it's, it's, it's good. Right. And it's, so, yeah, because it's kind of similar to how, you know, you start off organic, 
true to your roots. But when the label see, hey, this is what's making money, we're going to push you in that direction. You know, I had a chance to interview uh, Jeff Timmons from 98 Degrees, who's from Cincinnati, yeah. and how with their debut album, it was more R&B heavy. But by the time the second album, 98 Degrees and Rising, came out, you started to see the shift in a bit more of a pop direction, especially once the hardest thing started getting blowing up on Top 40 Radio and on TRL. Yeah, and I know, Jeff, I know those guys really well. Their manager, Paris Dijon, at the time, their first manager was a guy that I was exploring to manage. And we had talked, there was some talk about me actually joining that group, being the fifth member of that group. Um, yeah, but he, I mean, we, you know, and this is nothing against 98 Degrees because they're awesome, but we were, we were as R, like, we were R&B. You know what I mean? Like, we were signed to the, the urban division of Columbia. We were not signed to the pop division. Right. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, that was right where we fit and where we sounded right. But I think, you know, I think at the time, I think labels just got nervous. You know, like I said, there still wasn't that cross pollination of artists that were doing it. And for me, it's always been like, if you're, if you're not authentic, they're not going to accept you. But if you're authentic, they're going to accept you. You know what I mean? Look, we did a show at the Apollo and we crushed it. Like we murdered it. You know what I mean? And if you can murder it at the Apollo, you can murder it. You know what I mean? Like they'll tell you if you're not good, you know, they will boo you off the stage. So, um, but it's like anything else, you know, Matthew saw money, you know, I mean, Michael Bivens will voice to men will tell you this as popular and all the money they made, it's a quarter of what new kids made. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just kind of, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think a lot of that has changed in today's world, but, um, you know, he just, I think he just, he saw a different avenue for us and, and, and we were okay with that. Um, but it just, we, we just ended up never releasing the album and Matthew and I just, I started to see some things that I didn't like. Um, and I ended up leaving the group. And, you know, I, my attorney, you know, basically said, Hey, we, you know, go home, come to New York. At that point I had sort of made a signature had made a name for themselves. And I had made a name in the industry of a guy that, you know, was, was talented enough to hold his own. And there were labels that were really interested. And then, you know, when I got back, you know, within three days, I was kind of blackballed from the industry. Some things were said about me that just weren't true. And I didn't really know how to argue those things. And I, I probably could have taken a chance and moved out to New York and, and done some things. But I, I don't know, part of me was just, I was kind of just finished for the time being. So, um, you know, not that I gave up, but I was just, I was tired. And, um, I, you know, I think I felt a little hopeless. So. Yeah, because it kind of feels like in certain points, the industry kind of has a feel of professional wrestling where you have your bookers backstage choreographing the match, <laughs> scripting, yeah. deciding who's going to get put over. Yeah, 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 it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's really hard, you know, it's a really hard thing to, to really stick to your guns and try to, be authentic and do what you want to do because when the label's paying $5 million for your album at the end of the day, they're going to kind of dictate what you're going to say, what you're going to do. Um, 
you know, and I don't care who you are, you can go in with the best intentions, but you're going to be trapped into kind of becoming somebody that you're not. And I was never, you know, it's funny because I was really, I've never been about like the fame part of it. I've always just really loved music. You know, like I'm a kind of a studio head where like I could be in the studio all the time. And like, that was my thing. And then, you know, my goal was to make a lot of money and go play, you know, move back to Akron and play golf. Right. Um, but you get a little piece of that and it's, it changes you a little. And then when I came back, you know, I mean, I met my wife who I know now and I was in that transition and, you know, we fell in love and it was like, you know, I sort of was like, well, you know, the, this is kind of nice, you know, I can just, you know, um, you know, but I kind of hung on to that. And then, you know, once we had our first kid, I think I knew that was over. And that's kind of when, for me, the trouble, you know, for me, that's when, um, and everybody knows my story, but I, you know, started drinking a lot and a lot and that became an issue. And so that was kind of a consuming thing that I had to deal with for a few years until I got sober. Um, you know, so it was the, 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 the downfall of all of that was, um, for a few years for quite a while, wasn't great. Um, but I was just filled with a little too much pride and ego at the time to ask for help, but it was, it was really a humbling thing. So, you know, I, I, I kind of got there to a pinnacle and then I didn't get to where I thought I was supposed to be, but I think looking at it today, I'm, I'm probably where God wants me to be, which is good. Um, much better place. And I've got a really good experience and, you know, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was difficult. It was, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, it was that, that time was pretty turbulent for me emotionally. Yeah, because, you know, the industry, it can do a number on you if you're not all together here and here. Yep. Yep. You got to be, look, it's really, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's really hard to not become full of yourself and, and fame is a very addicting drug. And, um, you know, it's, and, and the other thing is, you know, like people don't realize, but like, you know, we were on tour with Christina Aguilera and Destiny's Child. I mean, you know, we worked like we would do a show in Milwaukee and then go do a show in Chicago and then be up that morning and do a radio show and then get on like a, we were in a van, right? Following a tour bus. So we were in like this crappy van and we were traveling all, and you're just always working and working and working and working and working. And it's like, it's fun, but like, you're like, you know, when am I going to be on stage where people are at, you know, because when you're like the pre-opening act, you've got like a couple thousand people there, right? But you, you're you watching Destiny's Child with 25, 30,000 people. And you're like, when is my shot going to come? Right. And you're supportive, but you're like kind of jealous. And you're like, you know, and then it's like, you know, you could, people are grabbing you from different directions saying you need to do this and you need to do that. And it's just, um, it's, it's a really, 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 it's, it's crazy. And, and, you know, the truth is you're the product. So if someone doesn't like what they see, it's, they're basically not liking you. So you got to be really secure in who you are. You know, it's not just about the music. It's about an image and you have to portray all that. It's, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's much different than what people think, but it's also, it's an amazing thing if you can get there because, you know, you can, sing and do shows and perform for a living and you can make great money but if, if the fame and money is the most important it, it'll eat you up pretty quickly yeah because i find fame to be a double-edged sword where it's like when you're unknown you want it and when you know 
you don't want it, you'd rather go back into normalcy, have a nine to five, live your normal life and not have paparazzi, people chasing you all down the street. And then when you lose it for a bit, you kind of have that need to have it, to feel recognized, to feel wanted. And it feels like when you're at the peak, you're in a fishbowl where you're living the movie Groundhog Day 24-7. Same thing. Wake up, wash, rinse, repeat. Repeat the same process until the ride is over. Yep. See, and I actually agree with you, but I think even when they say they don't want it, they want it. Because why would they stay? You could go move to Utah. You could go live in Utah. You could go to Michigan or you could go back to, you know, if, you know, if LeBron wanted to stay in Akron, nobody's going to bother LeBron in Akron. You know what I mean? Now, LeBron is going to be famous no matter what. But you know what I mean? Like, they say they don't want it, but they still go out to clubs in L.A., in Vegas. And, like, you could go to a cool club in New Mexico. You know what I mean? Like, a club is a club at the end of the day. You could, you know what I mean? So they say they don't want it, and they get mad, but they're in the mecca of where everyone is. So it's like, you know, I, I think they I think they get – annoyed with it but like you said when they don't have it anymore it's you know and then you have some artists who really do like they're like i want to go live in you know idaho is a huge state for people that are famous that want to get away and so um it's just it's 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 a very it's a very tricky thing to balance and i don't i don't know how well humans do it trying to like balance themselves out without some type of spirituality so um but I was never at that point. You know what I mean? I was locally a little famous for a minute, but I was never at a point where, you know, even on tour, when we finished the tour, we could walk around, you know, outside in the venue and some people would notice us and that would feel kind of good. But like, you know, we never really had like, you know, we were never at, a, if we were with Destiny's Child, everybody knew who we were, but that was because of Destiny's Child. So, you know, but um yeah, I was, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know I mean? I, I think it's made me the person I am today for sure. Yeah. You're either going to seclude yourself or be like Eddie Kane in the five heartbeats once Flash took his spot <laughs> saying nice like this. I wish yeah, right. raindrops would fall. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause like my kids have no idea. Right. They're, I mean, they know because they'll listen to the album and they'll, you know, and they can all sing, which is cool. I have four kids. So they're all pretty talented musically, um, but they're really into sports right now. So I'm kind of letting them, you know, it's funny because like I kind of bite and, and, you know, I'm an honest person. So there's times I find myself vicariously living through my kids with sports, but not with music. And I think it's because I, I know I'm very secure in how good I was in music that like, if they don't follow that path, I'm okay. But I think there's still a part of me that doesn't know how good I could have been in sports and I want them to achieve what I couldn't achieve. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes totally perfect sense. Now, side question for a minute. What is the one artist or group you felt should have blown up more, but for reasons or another did not? Man, that's a great question. Um, what is the one artist? Our group. That is one of the best questions anyone's ever asked me. Um, 
you know, well, there was a guy signed to Motown. His name was Tim Miner. Nobody knows about him, but he sounds just like Brian McKnight. Um, and I was surprised that he didn't blow up, but I think someone who I thought would just really like, Joe, that's such a good question. Um, trying to think who I really, you know what? I'm going to, let me, I'm, I'm going to cheat here for a minute. Um, so just give me a second. Cause I'm cheating here, but. Um, He's pulling the just, Konami code right now. Yeah. I'm just, there's a group. Hold on. That's such a good question. Do people like, am I the only one who has like a, so there's this kid, Colby O'Donis. He could sing. He was super talented. I, I'm surprised he didn't blow up more. He had like one little hit song, but um, give me a second. Man, that is such a great question. I got him stumped, y'all. Um, there was a group and one of the guys, one of the members was in Glee and they were from Texas. And they were so good, and I was shocked that they didn't blow up. And I'm trying to find the name of that group. I think that I is, may, yeah, I think I may know who you're talking about. Didn't they have a single called "That Girl"? Yes, I, I know. Yes. I, I know that group. The name is off the tip of my tongue. I just I got, can't place it. We're going to get down to the bottom of this mystery, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, person that was in Glee was in a boy group. I believe the group was called NLT, I want to say. Yes. Yes. Ding, 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 Dude, ding. That is, Dude, that is such a good pull. Tiger Woods clutch. Now, let me give you my one group that I felt should have blown up more, but I felt they came out too early right before the Latin boom. Barrio Boys. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I they were signed to SBK. Um, Joe Jacket, who was with New Kids on the Block, um, wanted to put together yep. a New Kids-like group, but have a guy singing in English and Spanish, R&B. And they had the How We Roll album, came out in 95. It was on yep. SBK. Fat Joe did a cut on, on them with I Get yep. Lifted. And I just thought that whole album was so dope. But like I said, 95, it was two to three years before Ricky Martin and Ricky Iglesias and that whole Latin explosion yep. in the U.S. really took off. So I felt had that yeah. album would have held, they would have blown up more. And also another group I felt should have blown up more was uh, C-Note. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I, there, there's a, there's, a, you know, Nirvana really ended the whole boy band thing. So there was some good, there was a group called the Youngstown. They were out oh, of I Youngstown. remember them. They did the Inspector Gadget yeah. cut. I'll be your everything. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they had, they had some good stuff, but yeah, NLT, um, they were good. They had it. They had it. I thought they were like, you know, cause you can tell when an artist can sing and they, I thought they were really, really good. Um, yeah, I thought they were good, but Tim, um, you know, and then there's some other groups that I think I'm just surprised they're not, um, you know, probably what I would say is, you know, even more popular than they are. Um, you know, my favorite artists, you know, 
back in the day, I mean, Brian McKnight's first album is one of my favorite albums to this day. I think, you know, um, he's, I think he's just um, phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I mean, he's a superstar, but I'm surprised he's not even bigger. Um, I, some of the newer stuff he's done, I'm not as much of a fan of. Um, who do you like as far as like, if you're just going to sit down and like, who are your, you know, who do you, who do you, what's your go-to to listen? Man, me, I know you're going to find this surprising. I'm uh, 35. I'll be uh, 36 next month. And although I was like five, six years old when New Jack Swing and stuff really took off, you know, New Edition, Troop, Color Me Bad, Voice Men, 80s, 90s, R&B pop, New Kids, that's my go-to. Yeah, Color Me Bad was good, man. Brian could sing. Brian was real. He was real um yeah he he was like the color me bad was like they could they were really i saw them on tour they were good i like the new jack swing stuff too yeah i was um i liked aaron hall um i like guy um yeah they were i'm i'm kind of the same way i um yeah i like i liked usher's first albums um i like when you know i remember when therese did that coca-cola commercial and he blew up Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of good groups. There's, you know, there's a lot of groups that don't ever make it. People don't know about. No. Nope. Um, obviously I, you know, I love Stevie wonder. Um, he's, you know, but I think everybody loves him, but yeah, Brian McKnight's first album is, is absolutely one of my fav- favorites. And I'm a big Michael McDonald fan. Um, I like him too. Right. Um, now, you know, I, I, go ahead. Go, oh, sorry. Now, one group that I don't know if you heard of, but I think you would really dig and check out. Um, there were a four-man vocal group out in New Orleans called The Real Seduction. They were signed to really? Atlantic Records, and they had a record called okay. Ain't Nothing Wrong, and that was produced by uh, Kenny Green and the rest of the guys from Intro, uh, Buddy White and Jeff Saunders. And Intro, in my opinion, should have been bigger. Intro is my group, dude. Intro, you are exactly right. That was the baddest dude ever. Kenny Green vocally that, was a what monster. They, what was the, they did that Stevie Wonder remake. Ribbon in the Sky. Dude, he was, now I heard he like lost his mind and ended up like going crazy. They were bad, dude. For sure. Profile was a good group. Yeah. But man. intro is, you are right, intro is they are one of my favorite groups. That is the that is the intro. That dude was amazing. Yep, Kenny Green vocally crazy, pen game crazy. Surprisingly, before he passed, we never got a solo album. But did Kenny Green were, pass? Yeah, Kenny Green passed away. But did he have like some mental? Um, I just know it was like health health wise that that's why he passed. Yeah, yeah. but intro. Yeah, Kenny Green was. I agree. Whole, whole intro was so good. There was a girls group too that was really good. A three man, a three woman girls group. Um, but yeah, intro man, they were so good. Mm, now, yeah, the song he wrote about his dad. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna rock that intro stuff tonight. They were really good. Yeah, you know, my favorite thing is like to hear a a song, um, and then go into YouTube and do the song, and then hit cover and hear how other artists portray the song. Mm. You know. I think right now the most creative artist out there, if to me, is Bruno Mars. I think he's bringing back some of that old school R and B, and like he's mm-hmm. not, you know, yep. 
Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I like him a lot. Now, I may catch some flat for some boys and men fans for saying this. I believe Cool Down Harmony was their best album. I prefer that. Over I do too. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I like it too. I like the Cooley High. I think, um, I think Water Runs Dry was a great song. I wasn't an I'll Make Love You. I thought it was okay. Um, but dude, listen, I, I got to tell you this. I was in, I, so I became pretty tight with Boys to Men. They were like my dudes. And we were in Cleveland. They were doing a show and they're like, hey, we want you to check this song out. And they played Into the Road for me. Like no one had heard it. And they were like, dude, do you think this is going to be a good song? Like after we played it. And I'm like, I need a copy of it. And I was like, you're going to break every record. Like this is the best song I've ever heard. Like I was amazed. And sure enough, it broke Elvis's record. Like I heard that like on a tape, right? Like they dubbed a tape for me, like the dual tape. Like, you know, they were like, man, I hope it's good. And when I heard it, I was like, it's incredible. Like end of the road to me still to this day is like one of the greatest songs ever. Right. And, and yeah, and I think Motown should have released Under Pressure as a single of Cool Air Harmony. Because to me, what really made Cool Air Harmony was the production of a young Dallas Austin. Yep. Dallas Austin was incredible back in the day. He was really good. Right. Yep. And all his he stuff was. with TLC. And yep. the Braves just came off of winning the World Series. Shout out to everybody in the ATL. But side with Biv 10, ABC, White Hot from Atlanta. Yeah, JD, So So Def, and Criss Cross. How come ABC and Criss Cross never toured? The six, seven-year-old me would have been hyped, begging mama, saying, I know. mama, give me ABC and Criss Cross tickets. And I know, I don't Atlanta. know. Yeah, Criss Cross was a trendsetter too. Yeah, they were they were really, really, you know, so for real. They had a they had a Candy Rain was a pretty good song. Um yeah, but you're right. That that Cooley High Harmony was like that was ridiculous. Every song on that album was really, really good. Mm. Um, and I I don't, and I'm gonna get they're gonna land base me for this, but I think losing bass, I don't think to me, boys to men's not the same. That bottom harmony part is, you know, like it's just um, you know. They're not the same. I, we worked signature. We did a song with Mark Nelson. He was, you know, he was the fifth member of uh, Boys to Men. So he's a good dude. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of great artists. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I've, there's some people that I, there's a, there's a group right now that I, um, I'm going to tell you who they are right now. Are you a, t- do you go to TikTok at all? Uh, not really. Okay. I like to go there just for the music part of it, but there's a um, there's a group um, called Sheer Element, and they are. I'll send you this on Messenger. Their harmonies are ridiculous. Yeah, it's two guys and a girl, and they are, I'm not kidding you, they are, like, legit. They are so good, and they can all sing. They are, like, now they do snippets of, like, cover songs, but they're really good. So I'm kind of into that right now, like, seeing how people kind of, you know, how they kind of change up, um, you know, um, songs like that. And I still, to this day, I say one of the greatest performers ever is Whitney Houston. Because she could just stand at a mic and captivate you. 
I mean, she sang the like national she anthem. She didn't need to do anything else. What's that? She sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Clive Davis said, let's re-release it as a single. It became a number one hit. And the Giants oh, yeah. ended up winning the Super Bowl. Hopefully, the Buffalo yeah. Bills can break the Scott Norwood curse this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, but I mean, she could just stand at a mic and just captivate you with just her singing. And just she just was a star. She was just a star. Right. Yeah, she was awesome. And speaking of stars, what's your take on how, like, now with social media, it feels like people who want to come into the industry already have to be pre-polished and ready to go, how as Back in the old days, you really had to hone your craft, do your club dates, spot dates, perform open mics anywhere that you could. So by the time you got to the big stage, you were ready because I had a chance to interview Danny from New Kids. And he was saying like a lot of people got the misconception about them that this was all one big cattle call audition. No, came up the hard way performing at Apollo, all black venues, marketed to an all black crowd. So when the pop stuff came, it was easy for them because they already paid their dues and cut their teeth. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, when we were on like that team people tour for um, Destiny's Child, it was like, we were in like the malls, like in the city. Right. And we had like, so we were, it was basically like an all black crowd and they were there to like see Destiny's Child. So we had literally, we'd be like doing our thing and we would be like flicking off guys, like meet us outside after, like it was rough. So I know what they're talking about. I think um, I don't like, and I don't even pretend, I don't think there's, I don't think artists, I don't even, they're not, they're not artists today. They're influencers. You know what I mean? They're, they're like the A&R part of it was what made you the artist, the training and the stuff you went through and the things that, you know, I went through to have an A&R and like how to be interviewed and how to act correctly and how to hold yourself on stage and how to hold, you know, like I see singers who hold mics like rappers. Well, that's not how you hold a mic, you know, you know. Um, so, you know, there's a right way to hold the mic and there's a right way to hold it to your face. And there's the right way when you perform to hold the mic. And there's all of these things that you don't think about when you go to a show, you're like, damn, um, I don't you know, there are no there's not another new kids that did what they would do. You know, there's I don't think it's now it's you know, you're making an album, but it's like they're, the, the performance piece of it is not even close. There's nobody that's like a new addition. They like those guys, you know, the, the sweat equity that they have in those albums and performances, kids don't have to do that nowadays. So I think, you know, I think you have a lot of, you know, like I listen to some of the stuff like my boy, because I have four kids, right? So I have a daughter who's 16. I have a son who's 13 and twin boys that are 12 and they'll be rocking music or whatever. And I'm like, tell my wife, I'm like, this stuff's terrible. Like it's, and it's like, you know, like even the rap, it's not like, there's no Biggie or Tupac or, you know what I mean? There's no, you know what I mean? Like when Jay-Z back in the day, or, you know, there's, there's none of that. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's no LL Cool J now. There's no, it's just not the same. Those guys were like, you know, cause they grew up like Puffy grew up like the way Michael grew up. Right. You saw his show when he had those, artists and he made them run to get them donuts and you know I mean like you you know like they grew up like you had to work you know it was an intense thing um it's not like that now you know you can come up with something catchy now there are groups that are like amazing and you could tell they work on their craft but I don't think it's the you know I don't you know no there's there's nobody doing what I think artists back in the day did because you you didn't have this right 
just because you got signed, that didn't mean you were going to be released. You had to go through a whole boot camp, you know, and you had to learn how, you know, and we didn't have auto, like auto tunes wasn't around, mm-hmm. you know, so you had to be able to sing and like, you know, now you can, I've been in the studio, you know, a lot, even not singing, just, you know, I've, I've, I've written some songs for some other artists and, you know, doing harmonies now is easy. You know, you do one take and then it triples it. When I was going in the studio, you had to do like three sets of three sets of three and you had to breathe at the right time. And, you know, I mean, it was just very different. Um, So, yeah, I don't think it's but that's technology. You know, I'm sure that I'm sure the temptations were like, you know, they didn't even have that. They had to get in there and blend it all together at the same time. So but I don't think it's the same. I think I don't I don't look at like, you know, today's world i mean you do have some people that are artists but like bruno mars is an artist right he encapsulates all of it you could tell like they he's creative he has a vision he has a look he he entertains he sings he's you know um but there aren't a lot of those in my opinion yeah Um, you know i agree because you could tell bruno studied michael jackson studied prince and those that came before him and and a modern twist to it yeah, he studied. Yeah, he's he obviously studied New Edition. You know, I mean, he obviously, you know, I mean, dude, there's no when Jodeci's first album came out, that was like they that was ridiculous. That was like, you know, I'll rock Jodeci any day of the week. Like to me, that first album is like that. They're one of my favorite groups. They just are like, I just they were fantastic, you know. There's no Jodeci right now. No, no Jodeci at all. Casey is singing food. Devontae, no joke. And they're from my neck of the woods, North Carolina. 252-336-704-828, stand up. Yeah, yeah, they are. And they, um, you know, but I, yeah, I mean, I I watched this documentary or this behind the, you know, like a a reality show with them. Um, But yeah, they, when they were on point, there was nobody like them. But they grew up in church, right? Even their harmonies, like they just had, you know, they were just, and they were like, actually, they just went out and just sat on a stool and sang for you. You know what I mean? They wore a jacket, they wore a jean jacket with no shirt, and they just got out and just sang in your face. And they, people, that unplugged was one of the best moments in music history. You know, that unplugged event, that set them apart. When they redid the Stevie Wonder song, that it was over. They they dropped the mic that day. That was incredible. Yeah, that Uptown Unplug. I got the CD, Fire from Top to Bottom, Christopher Wims, another singing fool. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, he all those guys. They were all, you know, he could sing too. Yeah. Yep. They mm-hmm. were that was that was so good. Yeah. That unplugged was really good. So De- definitely. Yeah. So, so one last question. I'm gonna get you out on this. Do you think yep. that your album that you recorded will ever see the light of day? The Motown album? Yes. I mean, look, Dave asked me the same question, Holmes, because I hadn't sent it to him. I've got a cassette of it. I just need to get it on CD. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I, I mean, I'll send you a copy and Dave, I already called someone. I'm going to get a CD of it and I'll send it to you guys. For sure. because you're, you're good to listen to. Yeah. What's sure. that? I, I was saying how I was listening in the interview that Yvette Nicole Brown did for Waiting for Impact, saying that it was one of the biggest crimes, travesties in the music industry, that album not be released. And 
I would love to hear it because I believe this your time. I believe it, it needs to be heard. Yeah, I will, I will, I will commit to this. I owe it to Dave and I'll send it to you. Um, it'll probably be a CD, but I'm sure you can turn that into a zip drive easily enough. But uh, yeah, I'll send you guys both a copy. Um, it's a good album. I mean, it really is. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's a good album. It's so yeah, that'll be my next mission. I'll get you that and give me a week and a half. I'll get it out to you, but then you got to follow up with me and let me know what you think. Oh, for sure. That that's definitely not a problem. So any shouts you want to give um, fans you want to thank that's been thinking about you all these years, anything, go ahead. No, I just think, you know, just all my, uh, you know, my wife, Jen, uh, Hadley, Davis, Brady, and Carter, my kids, um, you know, all of my buddies from, um, you know, Akron, Ohio, um, you know, Jeff Warbell, uh, Keith Weaver, uh, my guy, I owe a lot to him, um, Andy Shackelford, good buddy of mine, um, Josh Cadis, Greg Janke, Brian Lee, Chuck Penzenic, I'm on a chat with them, they, they were, they listened to the last, uh, podcast with Dave Holmes and they were pretty happy for me. So, um, no, I don't know about, you know, my, I, I'm, I'm in the fan stage now. I'm a fan of my kids. So, you know, um, but yeah, just, I've, I've been fortunate to be around amazing wife and kids and, and, um, some really good, um, just awesome friends that have been super supportive through everything I've been through. So, yep. I'm sure I left some people out, but blame my head, not my heart, right? So, yep. And there you have it. And you can catch this interview on audio and video form wherever you stream podcasts and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And hopefully by the time this interview airs, hopefully my Panthers will beat your Patriots. I see you got a Patriots hat on. No, I'm a Browns fan. This is my, my, my high school was the Revere Minutemen. So this oh, is excuse me. youth football. I'm, yeah, I don't want anything to do with the Patriots. I'm all Browns. Hey, Browns. Hey, Browns. Browns are doing great this year. So hopefully, go Browns. Yeah, we're we're, we're a little underperforming, but hey, what was it? It was um beyond what? What is the um? I want to earmark this. Yeah, beyond the album cover. So it's available wherever you stream podcasts and YouTube channel. It's the same name, beyond the album cover, all one word. And that's where you can find me, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give a big round of applause and big thank you to Mr. Hayden Haidu. Hayden, thank yes, you for thank coming you, on, Jarell. sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, Jarrell. I no appreciate problem. it, man. Thank you. That was great. Yes, sir.